Hi there, this is Kent Roundy at uh, USH Med Student. Got four students with me who have all been with me before. Let's do some introductions. Hi, I'm Natalie Pratt, a fourth year medical student. I'm Brandon Trujillo, a fourth year medical student. I'm Nuria, a third year medical student. I'm Jamin Hemingway, a fourth year medical student. And this is Kent Roundy. So I want to just describe very briefly what we hope to have happen in this podcast and how it came about. So Jamin is a fourth year medical student and I think in a previous podcast we discussed that he is interested in going into psychiatry and he's very interested in all the ways that can help patients get better, right? He came to this rotation, I think you saw that we have a lot of patients that really are not very well, they're on antipsychotic medications. In uh, medical school it's easy to kind of think, well, we have a medication, so we have a treatment, we have a treatment, so people get better, and it's not quite so simple. So you started looking at um, things that would help patients get better after we've exhausted the FDA-approved methods, after we've exhausted the um, um, psychotherapies, and you got very interested in a couple of ideas. Sound about right? Yeah, that's about right. Tell me the first idea that came to your mind. Uh, well, one of the first things I saw is a lot of the patients were asking for unique diets. Mm -hmm. And so I, I researched a little bit of that, and I think we can talk about that at a later date, because um, it's still pretty preliminary if any of them are helpful. Um, but that got us talking about upcoming treatments that didn't match quite what I'd been taught in medical school. So in medical school and in the board prep books, we talk a lot about dopamine. Um, and that's basically where the model that I've been taught starts and ends is too much dopamine will cause a schizophrenia spectrum disorder, too little will be Parkinson's or depression or Huntington's, and then... Wait, not, not Huntington's. That's the opposite, right? No, too much dopamine causes... You're right. Too much dopamine is Huntington. <laughs> but all the rest was crap. All the rest was right. <laughs> right. So, so we started talking about this a little bit more, right, about um, pathways, neurotransmitters. And so today what we wanted to do was focus on uh, three things. First of all, dopamine, like the neurotransmitter and the receptors, and high-yield questions that the students have run into on their uh, preparation work for their shelf exams. The second thing we wanted to talk about was um, some of the neuroanatomy that becomes important also on that, that shelf prep. And then the last thing we wanted to talk about was these uh, TAR1 inhibitors that, that you looked into. So on that note, let's start off with dopamine. What are high yield kinds of things that come up over and over in your test preparation and your studying about dopamine that seems to be important to know? Let's just kind of start off with anybody. Nuria, you're leaning forward. Let's start with you. Um, so. Your que the questions about dopamine that I have seen in certain test prep tend to be about either they want you to know how much, um, like whether increased or decreased dopamine is associated with a certain disease, and they also want you to know whether increased or decreased dopamine are associated with certain side effects. So side effects and disease states. All right, yeah. so let's review again the disease states associated with low dopamine. Uh, so we have depression, okay. Parkinson's. 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 What else? Um, I believe ADHD is linked to low dopamine. 
but maybe I'm just thinking backwards from that's what the medications. You know, that's a yeah. good question. I'm not sure I fully I'll know the answer up. to that. Yeah. Um, and then we've, we are going to get into some nuances about this, but some parts of the brain with schizophrenia are low dopamine states, right? And we'll talk about that later. High dopamine states. Well, we just went over Huntington's, right? Yes, we did. <laughs> schizophrenia. Schizophrenia. And uh, we also see some high dopamine states that are uh, caused by drug use, also with psychosis spectrum sorts of things, right? Cocaine and amphetamines. Now, my students always have to bail me out on this because I can never remember the difference in the mechanism of action between cocaine and methamphetamine. And I think that shows up on exams too. It does. So what, what does cocaine do? Cocaine inhibits a reuptake, I believe it's net, it, updates, it, it inhibits the reuptake of norepinephrine and dopamine, whereas uh, amphetamines are direct analogs too. Don't amphetamines, uh, they displace the yeah. norepinephrine and dopamine and that releases more from the Your amphetamine basically is a synthetic norepinephrine and it can have the mm -hmm. same effect. Your cane cocaine is one step further up and prevents the reuptake of the catecholamine you already released. And thank goodness I have students. I've been trying to figure that one out for about 10 years now, and I still struggle with it. They're just things that sometimes are difficult for me to remember. I think that's probably the way it is with most people. And I will also add that my understanding is that the norepinephrine uh, reuptake is um, more like a monoamine reuptake, that it also uptakes dopamine as well. So it's named the NET, the norepinephrine uh, transporter, but it's all of the all of the amines, monoamines. And I see a lot of shaking heads. That yes, is correct, so I, I, I hope that that's correct. All right, so um, we've kind of tackled high and low, generally speaking. I, I think I mentioned to you guys before we started this that when I started in psychiatry, I understood the world to be more binary dopamine too high, bad, schizophrenia, dopamine too low, bad, depression, and that was kind of it. And I was totally bewildered by a conversation about the actual uh, neuroanatomy. Again, I'm not a very good anatomist, anatomist, and an anatomist. <laughs> um, we're all shrugging our shoulders here. Um, but there are some basic parts of the dopamine pathways that seem to show up in testing. So let's talk about those pathways that show up in test preparation and the importance of understanding those. So let's start with, how about the, um, how about the um, mesolimbic the, part of the brain? The mesolimbic pathway is, is one of the dopamine pathways that is largely responsible for mood. So it's, it's, it's involved in depression and um, when it's too high it can cause schizophrenia or other schizoid-like uh, symptoms. So psychosis. I, <laughs> so my understanding is I'm gonna I'm not sure I know this well enough to disagree fully. I am aware that that pathway from the ventrotegmental area to the nucleus accumbens is called that mesolimbic area. We think about that as being as too much dopamine being associated with um, schizophrenia, uh -huh. right? And then we also think of the dorsolateral prefrontal uh, cortex and the Oh my goodness, I'm blowing this now. <laughs> um, 
there are two pathways, um, the uh, dorsolateral, prefrontal, and the medial, medial, I've forgotten them now. I've got to go back so. and look at them, but I, I understand that in schizophrenia, dopamine seems to be less active in those pathways, and that's where we see depression with those. What I'm not as sure about is if low dopamine in that mesolimbic pathway is depression or not. So I, I'm just not as sure about that. But when it, when it comes to, I think, board prep books um, or any of the material I've seen, you don't need to go quite as far as you've gone. You really just need to know that the seems like the disease state is being caused with a increased dopamine in the mesolimbic region. And that the antipsychotics act there to settle down positive symptoms of schizophrenia. Right. In other words, the hallucinations largely. But then the issue is our medications are not specific enough for the mesolimbic. And so they also decrease it in the nigrostriatal. And that's what's going to cause our extrapyramidal symptoms like our dystonias, our akathisias, our Parkinsonism. And then there's one more that uh, I've seen questions on in material, uh, which is the tuberoinfundibular. Yes. So how, how do we keep prolactin from flooding our system now? There's the... Dopamine. <laughs> well, so there's tonic inhibition of that system with dopamine, right? Correct. So if we inhibit the... In inhibitory system. Right, we release prolactin. We release prolactin. So tubuloinfundibular, antipsychotic use, increased prolactin, right, because of our dopamine blockade. Mm -hmm. And then in the nigrostriatal, this is a lot like inducing Parkinsonism, mm -hmm. right? We, th we think of those as somewhat overlapping in terms of the way we categorize things, or at least the way I do. And everyone probably already knows this, but if it's a uh, female in the question, right, it's going to probably be uh, having some type of discharge from the nipple. But if it's male, the only symptom that I've seen come up is going to be decreased sex drive or something a little further down the line. Yeah. Does that sound right? Yeah, much trickier to detect that in males than it is in females. Don't they get changes in their menstrual cycle as well? Yeah, you get amenorrhea and galactorrhea. Yeah. 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 And that's usually the discharge. Yeah. yeah. And I think um, the other part of that is you might see gynecomastia, but I'm not, I don't know that I'm clearly convinced that the prolactin leads to the gynecomastia. I, I just don't know the answer to it. I don't know that I've seen a clear link between those two things, increased prolactin and gynecomastia. I've heard that, but I can't, I can't elaborate. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure that's on the, I, I'm not sure if that would be a symptom that would show up on the You know, if I was taking prep. a shelf test in theory and I saw that, I, I'd probably jump to it. I know there were lawsuits filed about it. I don't know if the research is supportive. Lots of lawsuits, and, and it seems to be associated with the antipsychotic medication mechanism of that. Like I said, I just don't know that I've seen anything so clearly. Um, other parts of the anatomy that we need to think about associated with test questions. We tackled nigrostriatal. We tackled tubuloinfundibular. We tackled uh, meso... Limbic. Limbic, thank you. I want to keep saying mesocortical, but mesolimbic. And we had the associated symptoms with those that we might find side effect-wise or illness, right? There was one more thing I wanted to, to throw in here that was helpful for me in, in prepping, and that's the acronym ADAPT. And so if they, um, sometimes you might get a question about how long do you think they've been on this medication with this side effect. And so the way to keep it uh, separated is hours to days, you're going to get acute dystonia, which is the A and the D of ADAPT. 
and then days to months, you're going to get uh, akathisia, Parkinson's, and then the last part of adapt, the T, is tardive dyskinesia, and that's months to years. And so that can help you separate them out if you're trying to guess which one comes in um, at what time. You know, that brings up a couple of very quick questions. Uh, the first one is, how do you treat an acute dystonia? Because I think that has been something that's important in the things I read in the past, and usually emergencies are tested more highly than other things, I think. So how do you treat an acute dystonia? Um, would that be with diphenhydramine? Absolutely. In, okay. uh, an injection of diphenhydramine is usually the first treatment for that and usually works. So now the other one we talked about is benztropine is always in the book, but I think you were telling me that's not in practice. I think you might be thinking about akathisia as okay. opposed to uh, dystonia. So dystonia is generally speaking the answer is going to be an injection of Benadryl and then uh, tardive dyskinesia we have medications that have an FDA indication for that now. Do you guys remember those? Valbenazine yeah. and dutetrabenazine. Yep, the VMAT2 inhibitors. And then with uh, akathisia, my reading of the material suggests that uh, propranolol is a better treatment uh, for akathisia than about anything we have. Benzodiazepines, uh, particularly Ativan, seems to be helpful, but we have a tremendous difficulty with our patients misusing that medication, so it becomes less helpful, even though it's probably the most effective treatment based on the way I read things. And then another option that's used quite often is uh, cogentin, benztropine, and artane is also used, I believe. And so that's what we were talking about a couple weeks ago. Uh, if you were to look it up in uh, First Aid for Psych, I believe is my favorite um, source, but I actually think all the sources will tell you benztropine for acute dystonia, akathisia, or Parkinsonism. Yes. Um, even though that doesn't seem to be what you found. You know, that's, a, that's actually interesting because I think when we think of that acute treatment, and, and it may be because of the what we're thinking about, but my understanding of acute treatment of like a laryngeal spasm, which is a life-threatening emergency, is IM Benadryl. So uh, diphenhydramine. Um, something we'll have to look up. Maybe it'll be something that I put on the, you know, in the notes yeah. where we have things that we just weren't sure about and then we clarify in the notes. Um, let's see, last question then, uh, or last part of the topic. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think we've sort of addressed this implicitly. Our, our medications are antipsychotics. Um, these treatments have a lot of untoward effects, right? There are a lot of different parts of the brain where we don't want to just shut down dopamine transmission. And so uh, pharmaceutical companies are nonstop looking for treatments that have fewer side effects that maybe more specifically target uh, uh, schizophrenia without having so many negative side effects and perhaps even better outcomes. And so we talked about TAR1 as, as a potential uh, site. Yeah. And what did you find? So uh, this was one I'd never heard of. Um, the ligand is called phenthylamine. And um, what they found is they found an association that people with a lot of phenthylamine had a higher rate of schizophrenia, and people that had a lower amount had an association with depression or ADHD. And so as they researched this, they found the receptor that I think you already mentioned, that trace amine-associated receptor. Um, they found that it was in the CNS, in the GI, 
um, in the liver, in the pancreas, it's in quite a few areas. Um, but what it does is it's an intracellular G protein coupled receptor in the uh, presynaptic side of the axon. And so when it is bound by either medication, um, which does not have a good name yet, it's still SEP856. Yeah, I didn't see a name for that. Yeah, they haven't named it as far as I can see. Or the, the natural ligand, which is this uh, phenethylamine. Um, this receptor also has a lot of, um, it binds quite strongly to amphetamines and to methamphetamines. Um, but once it's bound, right, it goes through that G protein, it goes to um, a protein kinase and then to a potassium uh, channel, which will decrease the amount of dopamine in that area that's being released. And so that is um, the up and coming medication that was actually given the fast track in 2008 or 2018. Um, and at least from what I can find is it's doing quite well in, in phase three trial with what they've said so far is we should have less negative symptoms and less positive symptoms because of where this receptor is found in the uh, CNS. Pretty exciting stuff. I, I actually read uh, the articles you sent me. There's a New England Journal article uh, from earlier this year. It looks like this is a phase three trial that's published now. And um, the way they described finding this molecule that they have, which is an analog of uh, this trace amine, uh, trace amino acid, uh, phenyl phenylethylamine? Phenylthylamine. Phenylthylamine. Boy, I can't say that. They usually just say PEA. It's only in the article once. PEA. So um, they they found a mouse model. They did a high throughput phenotype screening. I had to write that down so I got it correct. Uh, and uh, with SmartCube, and I don't know what SmartCube is. And so based on that phenotype screening through SmartCube through a platform called SmartCube, they were able to find this molecule that seems to have some effect in schizophrenia. And it's kind of exciting what how they're finding new. Uh, medications and new kinds of strategies for tackling something that hasn't had a lot of new ways to tackle it for a very long time. Yeah, um, I think on that, one of the things I found really interesting is it's on chromosome 7 is where uh, this receptor is coded for and it was actually mRNA that got them to look in these other areas. Mm -hmm. That's how they found, we're pretty sure there's receptors here, here, and here because that's where this specific spot is transcoded. Interesting. So take home about TAR1 inhibitors. Uh, hopefully we're going to have a better medication very soon. Well, that'd be kind of nice, wouldn't it? And maybe this will open up other pathways for treatment that we hadn't previously known about. We'll see where it goes. Last thoughts from everybody on the topic before we call it uh, a 20-minute podcast. Lots of head shaking, no. Again, nobody can see those. We're, we're on a vocal medium only at the moment. I think Jamin did a great job. Thank you. Very much so. Um, anytime I have students that tell me things that I'm not familiar with, usually they're correct, and I have to go back and read and uh, find out that what I thought I knew was not quite right. So a couple of things I'll be checking out later today will be uh, treatment of choice for acute dystonias, and uh, let's see, also, I, I think you and I talked about the use of um, cogentin, which is benztropine, for 
some of the other conditions, particularly akathisia, and why I have my preference, but I, I am aware that that seems to be the standard of care, the use of, of uh, cogentin. So I, I have a hunch that might be something that comes up in another, we'll see, maybe another podcast. And I can only cite Zonkey, the source of all my knowledge, so. Zonkey. That's, uh, that's the name of the flashcard deck that I've been using for a third year. Ah, very good. So. Zonkey. Zonkey. And that's based on the Anki app, I'm guessing. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. And I think that's something, uh, hopefully, um, maybe with the Facebook page that we've got, I think right now, Ray, one of the other students that's rotating with all of you, is putting together an Anki deck on medications. He found one that he liked, and he's updating that. And with a little luck, we'll get that on the Facebook page where everybody can have access to that. And that is also at USH Med Student. All right, guys, on that note, team out. Team out. Team out.